We are going to be learning the fourth Sicha on Parshas Vaychi in Chelok Tesvav of Lukotei Sichas. This Sicha is also a Siyam on Mesech Kedushin, and it deals with two translations on the bracha of Yaakov to his son Binyamin, specifically on the words Binyamin Ze'ev Yitrof, that Binyamin will pray like a wolf. And in the Sicha, the Rebbe brings the explanation both of Targum Onkelos and the explanation of Yonasan Ben Uziel, who in essence seem to be saying the same thing with a slight variation, pointed, pointing to the fact that just like the wolf prays, uh, the Karbonos will be brought up in the territory of Binyamin. So Targum Onkelos says the following, that Binyamin, Zeevitrov, that in his territory, in his land, in his Nachala, the Shechina will dwell in his land, and in his lot, the, the Mikdash will be built. Yonasan ben Uziel says something similar, but the variation is that he says, Binyamin is a powerful Shevet, just like the Zeev, just like the wolf, just like the wolf, and he prays like the wolf in his land, the Shechina of the after of the universe will dwell, and in his Nachala, the base Hamikdash will be built. So notice that by Binyamin, the Targum Unklus indicates that the base Hamikdash will be built in his territory, whereas Targum Unklus indicates that the Mikdash will be built in his territory. And at first glance, even though the two seem to be similar, the Rebbe calls the Ragged Shavagon, who explains that when, targum, when the Targum says, Ba'achsante Yizbenein Mikdusha, or Makdusha, it means the place where the blood of the Karbanos will be brought, referring, of course, to the Mizbeach. And according to an opinion of the Gemara, the part of the Mizbeach where the blood would flow was actually in the territory of Binyamin and in the territory of Yehuda because the, it was built on shared property, you did not put blood. But in the other, when in the other Targum, a Targum Yonasan ben Uziel, he says, in his Nachala, the base Hamikdash will be built, emphasizing the base Hamikdash in general which would be in the territory of Toref of Binyamin, who prays. So one is really the first Targum Onkelos is emphasizing the Mizbeach, the Veis HaMikdash, referring to the Mizbeach, the Mikdash, and according to Yonason, Ben Uziel is referring to the whole, the whole Beis HaMikdash, not only the Mizbeach. So the Rebbe says we have to understand why do we have a difference in the way they explain it, since both of them are trying to indicate the fact that the Shechina will dwell in their land. So it's the same Shechina dwelling in their land. Before we explain this, the Rebbe goes in to another, or rather starts, initiates a new discussion, that if we look through the brachos of Yaakov, we find that various ones of Yaakov's children are compared to various animals. Yehuda is compared to a lion, Dun is compared to a snake, Naphtali is compared to an Ayala, which some say is a gazelle, Binyamin is compared to a wolf. Why do we have to know which animal 
these particular shvatim are compared to if we want to indicate how strong they are or how swift they are we can say that they are strong like we could say gibar or if they pray we could say toref why are we specifically indicating their quality that Yaakov wants to bring out by comparing them to a particular animal it seems that we are trying to take an animal trait and show that these particular shvatim have the traits of the respective animals they're compared to not so much because it's a human quality but because it's a quality of a particular animal so obviously there must be some relationship between animals in general that gets reflected in the Shvatim, the sons of Yaakov, in his brachos. So in order to understand this, the Rebbe goes to the end of this particular Gemara in Kiddushin, and he says an interesting thing. He mentions that over there, the Gemara brings a discussion of certain animals in terms of some of the things that they do. And this is what the Rebbe quotes in the name of Rebbe Shimon ben Elazar, where he says, I haven't seen a tzvi, a deer, that is a kayots. A kayots is one who dries figs, puts them out in the sun to dry them. Ari sabal, or a lion who is a porter, who carries packages. Or Shual, a fox who was a chenvani. A chenvani is a storekeeper. Yet these animals, they don't have to engage in professions, but they seem to have their parnosa in a very painless way. They don't have to work for their food. And he continues, And what was the purpose of the creation of the animals? Only to serve the Adam, only to serve me. So they don't have to work hard. But I, who was created to serve my creator, and he repeats, these ones, these who were not created for any other purpose other than serving me, have their parnasa without pain. But I, the Yid, who was created to serve my creator, wouldn't it be right if I would be able to earn a parnasa without sar, without pain? Why do we find ourselves in a position where we have to work so hard for a living? So the Gemara brings the words, Hareosi Masai, because I have not acted properly, my deeds have, none be, have not been good, the Kipachti Asparnosasi, I compromised, or rather I pushed away, I stopped having Parnosa in an easy way, only because of my deeds, as we know the Pasuk that says, Avonasechem Hitu, the sins of the people, the Navi says, have led us to be pushed away from having parnasa without difficulty and we have to work very hard for it. So the Mefarshim over here mention that these three particular trades that are mentioned here, the dryer of figs, the drying of figs, the porter and the storekeeper really are in line or fit the natural qualities, the natural inborn characteristics of the animals that we mentioned in this Gemara. Because the characteristics of the deer, who is compared to the one who dries the figs, is that when he sleeps, when this, when this animal sleeps, one of the eyes stays open in tune with the fact that the coyotes, the dryer of the figs, has to put out the figs to dry and also has to ensure 
that they are drying properly in the field and nothing terrible is happening to them, so he has to be awake to be a shomer. The lion, the strongest of all the animals, is perfectly suited to be a porter because it is very strong, so no same ourselves, it carries packages, carries things. The hashuol, the fox, which we all know is a very sly, shrewd creature, because he is so sly, he is suited to be a storekeeper who knows how to earn a profit from buying and selling. So now we have to understand why does the Gemara, if it wants to talk about certain trades that animals represent, why does it choose specifically these three? The one of the lion, the one of the fox, and the one of the wool, and the one of the dryer of the figs, the sabal, the ari, and the storekeeper. And really, there are others that we could have mentioned because there are other animal, other shvatim that also have brachos where they're compared to animals, as we mentioned before. It says about Naftali, Ayola Shlucha. He is very swift, like a gazelle, so such a creature, such a animal represents being a messenger because he's so swift and so quick. And yet we don't find this mentioned in connection with that. So the Rebbe tells us that this quote from Shimon ben Elazar that we just quoted is also brought in the Talmud Yerushalmi. We know that we have two Talmuds. We have the Babylonian Talmud, which was concluded in Bovel. I think it's seven generations after the writing of the Mishnah. We have the Yerushalayim Talmud, the Yerushalmi Talmud, or the Jerusalem Talmud, which was concluded two generations earlier in Eretz Yisrael. And this same discussion also appears in the Yerushalmi. But there, the order of the animals that are mentioned is a little bit different. And there it says, Raisa meyamecha ari sabo. Have you ever seen a lion who is a porter? So here the lion comes first, whereas in the original Gemara that quoted in Talmud Bavli, the Tzvi came first, but here the, lion, here the lion comes first. Have you seen a Tzvi, a deer, who is a dryer of figs? Have you seen a fox who is a storekeeper? Have you seen a wolf who sells pots? So now we have to figure out the following points that Rebbe says. Number one, why is the lion, or representation of the lion, the porter mentioned before the one who drives the figs, drives the figs, specifically because the lion is the one who carries the figs from the place where they are being dried to the next destination. So it would seem that the kayas, the one who drives the figs, should come first, the way it appears in the Talmud Bavli. This is how it normally works. The lion is only going to carry the figs to their destination after they are dried and packaged, and then he can take them. And if we want to say that the lion is mentioned first because the lion is the most powerful of all the animals, so then perhaps we should have mentioned the fox right after the lion, because the fox is more similar to the lion than the tzvi. Another thing, in the Talmud Yerushalmi, we have a fourth category, and that is the selling of pots. The wolf sells pots. We don't have that before, but we do have before 
that the wolf is a storekeeper. But isn't this the same kind of category as the making of the pots? These are things that are done for the purpose of buying and selling or matters of that sort of business, of that nature. What is the connection of the wolf to the selling of pots? So now we're going to try to answer this question. But first, the Rebbe is going to give us an insight into the expression that's mentioned in the quote of Shimon ben Elazar, who was first quoted in the Gemara Babli and then again in the Gemara Yerushalmi in this particular discussion. So let's see. When we say the words of this sage, we say, Ma elu shalo nivru shalo Yes, how is it that these creatures that were created to serve me, to serve man, to serve the Yid, they're able to have parnasa without pain, and I who was created to serve my creator wouldn't and wouldn't it be good if we would be able to have Parnasa without Sar? But he expresses a second time they were not created only to serve me, and I was created to serve my creator. So in order to understand this, why it's written in that manner, the Rebbe tells us as follows. The purpose, the ultimate purpose of all the creatures in the world is B'nai Yisrael. This is what we learn. And they are the goal of the world. Veracious, the world is created for B'nai Yisrael. So whether it's the animals, whether it's the, the life of the vegetation, the tzomeach, whether it's animals, whether it's people, as the Rambam says in the introduction to the, his Perush and Mishnayis, that everything that exists in the world is there only for the purpose of serving man. We always learn that man came to a world where everything was already prepared for him and things of that nature. And there are all types of creatures that people could eat. And there are all kinds of animals that people could benefit from to carry things like a donkey or carry packages. And there are creatures that help a person reach their specific destination if they're going a great distance, for example, a sus, a horse. And there are different types of trees and there are different types of plants. And there are also human beings, people. And these human beings, these people, were created that the Adam HaSholem, the pinnacle of creation who was supposed to spend his time being occupied in the study of godly chachma, godly wisdom, the study of Torah, and of doing mitzvos, needs an entire world of people who will ensure that all the important needs that a, yid need, that a yid has to have benefit from in order to be able to serve Hashem and to do mitzvos and to acquire wisdom. So he needs a lot of help to be able to do this so he can focus on the things that only a yid can do. In other words, the Rebbe says, the tafkid, the task of all created beings, including also the B'nai Noach, including also those who are not Yidin, is to make sure that a Yid will be able to have all his needs. So the Yid should be able to engage in Torah and in doing mitzvot. But Rav Shema ben Elazar 
adds something new here when he says, These creatures have only been created to serve me. We observe the animal world. They have parnoso without any tsar, and they're only there to serve me. But what does it mean they're only there to serve me? When are the animals, when is the whole world there to serve the yid? Not just like that, but only because the yid is nivresi l'shamesh's koni. They have to serve me because I have the purpose of serving Hashem. So if we're not serving Hashem, they're not made to serve me. But if I am serving Hashem, they are there to help in this shlichus. Everyone is in, there in the shlichus to do Hashem's will. So whether it's the deer, or whether it's the lion, or whether it's the fox, they were all created with unique characteristics in order to serve me. And therefore, the tzvi, the deer, has the characteristics of the one who drives the figs. The lion has the characteristics of the porter. The wolf has the characteristics, the fox has the characteristics of the storekeeper. Just to serve me, and that's the be it and end it of all of it. But their tafkit is to serve me, to serve the yid, he says, only in a manner that ani that I am able to that I am able to serve Hashem through the observance of Torah and mitzvot. In other words, in order for a yid to do the unique shlichus of a yid, which is to take the entire entity of the world, to take all of existence, all the material things that exist in the world, and to transform all those things into godliness, into holiness, and this is only through observing mitzvos. And in order to observe mitzvos, we need to have all the help that we need to have, represented in the case of this particular quote by a kayotz, by the one who dries figs, by a porter, and by a storekeeper, because these are the ones that enable and prepare all the things, all the creations of this world to help us do a mitzvah, to help us learn Torah. So as the Sikha continues, the Rebbe is going to show us how these three animals that we mentioned and their respective characteristics and respected to those characteristics, the professions or the skills or the traits that we mentioned are really three systems of how we prepare, how a yit prepares to serve his creator. So let's analyze a little bit better what these three trades are, and then we can see how they actually are representative of the things a yid does, or the things that have to be done in order for us to be able to do the mitzvahs that only a yid is supposed to do. So first of all, we mentioned a deer, then we mentioned a lion, and then we mentioned a fox. So the Rebbe explains that these are all min hakal el hakavet. This is a, uh, which Rashi explains to us what each of these creatures does, so we figure it out. So the Gemara says the tzvi is a kayotz. What's a kayotz? Rashi says, miyabesh kitsios basoda. He takes the figs from the tree and he puts them out in the field and the sun shines on them and eventually they are dried out so they are preserved. So this is the task of the coyotes. He has to bring the figs from the tree into the field, 
what happens in the field? The field is the place where the light of the sun is going to shine on these particular figs. And the Kayas also has to make sure that these are protected. He watchfully looks over them until they are dried properly and they reach the perfection of a dried fig. That's step number one. After that, the figs are ready. So what happens to them? We don't leave them in the field forever. They get packed up and then the lion represents the porter. They have to be transported from one place to the next. So they have to be transported to a place from where they will be able to reach other people. So that leads us to the shual, the fox, who is a storekeeper. What does the fox do? The fox does not change uh, the place of the figs the way the porter does. The fox does not change the status of the figs. He's only going to sell them. He's going to take them from his domain after he buys them and he's going to sell them to someone else. In short, the Rebbe says, we have three different activities that we just spoke about. One is changing the actual material. In this case, it's a fig taken from a tree that's fresh and drying it out. Then we are changing its place of being. We're changing its domain. We're bringing it to places from which it will be sent out or bought by different people, storekeepers who will sell it. So we're changing the ownership. This all, of course, is a muscle. This is all coming to give us an insight into the spiritual preparations for being able to do a mitzvah. So first we're going to talk about the deer. The deer, we said, is the one who brings the figs and makes sure that they dry out. Now, what does that mean? So sometimes there are situations where a yid has to do a certain mitzvah and it is difficult for the yid to do the mitzvah properly for the following reasons. Sometimes a person may lack knowledge and therefore he cannot do a particular mitzvah. For example, the Rebbe brings a very well-known example. We know that we have a mitzvah of pikuach nefesh. Pikuach nefesh means that when it comes to saving a life, Sometimes other parts of Torah fall away in the, because the situation is so grave and nothing comes before the saving of a life. So some mitzvahs relate to pikuach nefesh. So if a Jew is dealing with someone who's ill, for example, and wants to know if he could be machal Shabbos, he doesn't always know because he first has to have the opinion of a doctor if this is a case that requires pikuach nefesh. And the Rebbe brings us another example of how much time and energy or knowledge it takes to figure out if one understands how to do a mitzvah or not, as we have quoted from Rav in the times of the Gemara, who was trying to learn what is really a mum and a behemoth. We know that an animal that has a mum, a permanent mum, a permanent blemish, a blemish, something is wrong with it, it's not perfect. So how does one know exactly what is a mum that's permanent? And what qualifies as a mum that's going to pass and is not going to be a problem once it passes. So Rav is known to have said that for 18 months, I stayed with the shepherd of an animal in order to figure out, it took him 18 months to learn what's a mum kavu and what's a mum over in order to do the mitzvah that we know that if it has a mum, it can't be brought as a carbon, And if it doesn't, it can't. 
So that's one thing. We have to have a certain type of knowledge, which sometimes if we don't have it, it interferes with our doing of the mitzvah properly. Another thing that could come up in the preparation for doing a, in, uh, for doing a mitzvah that may stand in the way of doing it is, uh, sometimes we uh, have to do, I'm sorry, uh, sometimes we have to do certain difficult work in order to make the material for the doing of the mitzvah ready. For example, if we want to make tefillin, and tefillin are so important that the whole Torah is compared to tefillin. So first we have to take the height of an animal, and we have to separate the height of the animal from the hair of the animal, and we have to then take this skin that we have, this hide, and we have to refine it, we have to tan it, we have to make it soft, we have to make it smooth, we have to make it beautiful until it turns into a beautiful piece of parchment. Otherwise, we can't make the twillin or the safer toe or anything of that nature. So this resembles the job, the task of the tzvikayats of the deer who is a dryer of figs. Because what's the fig? The fig is a fruit that grows on a tree. Where is this fig? This fig has to be brought to a place where it's going to be sitting or lying in the sun, meaning that the yid, before he's able to do anything with the mitzvah, the mitzvah has to be clear as the sun. It has to be clear to him. It has to be illuminated for the yid who's doing the mitzvah exactly how to do the mitzvah. It's going to be put out in the sun and only then we know how to do the mitzvah so that takes care of the preparation that's related to learning and getting as much knowledge as necessary for doing of a particular mitzvah then comes the next step the ari the lion who is a porter the porter is not about the mitzvah itself or the drawing of the fig itself but the porter is the one who will take the fig to the next place. In other words, sometimes we have to do a mitzvah, but the place where this mitzvah has to be done has, uh, is not proper, and that thing that the mitzvah has to be done with has to be moved to another place. For example, uh, somebody or some or something may have to be reached to have have a mitzvah done with it, but it may be in a place where a Jew is not allowed to go. Maybe that item or that person is found in a place of idolatry, or maybe that thing is found in a place of immorality. So therefore, we need, we need to have what's represented by the lion, by the porter, something that has the koach to transfer the object from a place where it's not allowed to be used, a place where a yid can't reach, and be able to bring it to the Yid, so the Yid is able to do the mitzvah with it and transform it into Kedusha. Then we move to the third animal that's quoted in this order, the Shual, the fox, who is the Chenvani, the storekeeper. Sometimes it could happen before one can utilize the item for a mitzvah, the ownership of that item has to be changed before it goes to a Yid. And here we have a very interesting example that the Rebbe brings. We all know that there are three nations 
Amon and Moab and Edom, we learn in Chumash, that the Yidden were never allowed to fight a war with and we were not allowed to conquer their land. And that's why we learned that when we were at the end of the 40 years, when we were entering Eretz Yisrael and we needed to pass their lands, we were told that we have to get their permission and if they don't give it, we're not allowed to go there, we're not allowed to fight with them and things of that nature. Then we're told we have to fight a war with Sichon. Actually, Sichon, that great giant, was really a land that had originally belonged to, to Ammon and Moab. But way, way back in time, as we learned from the Psukim there, Sichon had taken over those lands. So now the lands of Ammon and Moab are no longer the lands of Ammon and Moab and could become a land that becomes the territory of Yidden. And that's why Chazal tell us, Ammon Umoav Tiharu B'Sichon. Ammon and Moab, where Jews were not allowed to conquer or, fi- or fight and conquer, were purified through Sichon. And that's how the land of Ammon and Moab becomes a land where the Jewish people could settle and do mitzvot. So now we see that we are dealing with serving Hashem, so anything that helps the Yid serve Hashem, that's very good. And that's why these creatures uh, have their parnasa freely. But it's because they're really, in this essence, they're really going to serve Hashem through helping a Yid serve Hashem. And that's why we have these three examples of these three animals in particular. Now, in order to understand this better, when we speak about the deer, who is a coyote, who takes care of the figs, we have to understand this a little bit better because Rashi explains what does the uh, tzvi do? He dries the figs in the field, which means that he is transforming the actual fruit. But that's not enough. So after we have, after that, we have the Ari, who is going to take them to their next destination. So these two things are really general things that apply in all mitzvahs. Because what is a mitzvah? A mitzvah is that it takes a particular object, a particular entity that's physical, and he is able to make it into something holy by doing a mitzvah. So the Rebbe brings the example here of a, an esrog and the lulav. So how do we do the mitzvah of esrog and lulav? The first thing is that we have to remove them from the tree. They are connected to the tree. So we are actually changing the object. No longer is it something that's connected to a tree. Now they're different because once it's pulled off the tree, it no longer gets any nourishment from the tree and it has changed its entity just like by the deer by drying the figs or bringing them to dry and putting them in the sun the fig becomes something else it becomes something something preserved it becomes something that will not rot after that we have to change uh, the place for example when we have tzitzis so for tzitzis we have to have wool how do we get wool we have to shear the animal. So that would be 
the representative of the deer taking, like we said, taking the fruit off the tree or taking the figs to dry. And then we bring it to the Yid, Arisabal, to the lion, that's the porter. And similarly, if we need to take the horn of an animal to make a shofar, or if we need to take schach that grows somewhere, or if we need wood to make a sukkah, and all mitzvahs of this nature where we have to change somehow the nature of the item, whether we pull it off its source, or whether we dry it in the sun, or whatever we do with it, the principle is all the same. And then we have to actually bring it in a way that the Yid will be able to take, make use of it. And we can also see this, these details by the hide, by the parchment that suits for tefillin, mezuzah, and sifrei Torah. So first we have to, as we said, separate the skin from the flesh of the animal, work the skin over, it becomes something so different, becomes something very beautiful and soft and pliable, and then it has to be brought to the Yid so the Yid could use it to make the Sefer Torah. So what do we see? That the first two details we mentioned, the deer who is representative of the one who dries the figs, and the lion who is representative of the porter or the one who carries it to his proper destination, these are essential for many, many mitzvot. And therefore, we find a difference in Talmud Babli and Talmud Yerushalmi in the way we express the translation of the Pasuk regarding uh, Binyamin, who is compared to the wolf. And we have, we said, quotes that are similar, but the slight differences. And the fox, who is the storekeeper, that's already different. The storekeeper does not apply to all the mitzvot, the change of ownership before it gets, but this is connected only to particular mitzvot that are not as widespread, and therefore we're going to use this to help us explain what is the task of the shvatim that are compared to this animal. And also another thing that we're going to explain in connection with this, to go back to the original connection we're trying to make is how it was Yaakov who gave the bracha to the shvatim just before he died. And that's when he compared them to these respective animals. So at what point in history do the shvatim begin to fulfill their lives' roles as these animals fulfill their mission? In other words, when do they start to act with the traits of these animals? So we'll see in a minute. Based on everything we learned, we could now also answer the question of why did Yaakov speak of his children and compare them specifically to animals. He could have said that they are strong rather than saying they're like a lion, etc. Or they are swift rather than saying they're like an ayolo or whatever it is. So now here's the answer. Just like the task of the animals in general, as we said, is to prepare different things in this world so they should be ready for the purpose of a yid doing Torah and mitzvot through them, whether it was the fig dryer, the porter, or the storekeeper. So too the general task, the ruchni is the spiritual task of Yaakov and the Shvatim, was to prepare the world for Matan Torah. Now, when did this begin? What does this have to do with our subject? So we know that we end up 
in Mitzrayim. Yaakov ends up in Mitzrayim in this week's parsha. He ends up blessing his children before he dies in this week's parsha. And already next week's parsha, we are already in Golos Mitzrayim. Why did we have to experience a Golos in Mitzrayim before we got the Torah? So we learned this in a variety of places, that before the time that we were in Mitzrayim, and we would get the Torah ultimately, as a result of being in Mitzrayim, before that experience, the world was not yet ready for the experience of having physical things being transformed into Ruchnius. We all know this, that Kedusha was not able to penetrate the material and physical aspects of the world until Matan Torah. Golos Mitzrayim was sort of a preparation for the Yidden to be able to do this task when the Golos would be over and we would get the Torah. We all know the famous expression that Mitzrayim was like a korha barzel, like a furnace, an iron furnace in which metals get smelted and the pure metal, the pure silver or gold or whatever it is, gets separate. all the impurities get separated and only the pure thing remains. And in Golos, that was what's supposed to happen. It's supposed to refine and purify us and in this way prepare the world that we would be able to get the Torah and we would be able then to purify the world and its items through learning this Torah and observing its mitzvahs. So again, just to make sure this is clear, Golos Mitzrayim starts when the Shvatim come to Mitzrayim with Yaakov, but that's not yet a painful experience. That's only we're not in Eretz Yisrael, but life is good. But the actual work of Mitzrayim, the actual difficulties of Mitzrayim, the actual Golos begin after Yaakov and Yosef die, as it says in next week's Parsha, that Yosef died, and the whole door, the whole generation who had come down to Mitzrayim was no longer there. And what we do there is related to what we learn about these animals that Yaakov points out in his children by the specific ones where he points out which specific animals they are. This is all the beginning of the preparation of the whole world for Yidin to be able to do Torah and mitzvot. And this job began through the Shvatim in Mitzrayim. Now, there's another thing we have to figure out here. If we go back to the beginning, we mentioned two Gemaras. We mentioned the Talmud Babli, and we mentioned the Talmud Yerushalmi in connection with this discussion of the animals. In truth, whatever differences there exist in an opinion in Babli or in Yerushalmi all depend on the philosophy, the way of thinking of the Babli and how they come to their resolutions to problems and questions, and the Yerushalmi and their way of thinking. So what are these differences? What is the major difference? So here it is. If we go to Talmud Babli, and that's the Talmud that's well learned by everyone and much more well known, the Yerushalmi is much longer. It was not written under the kind of extreme pressure that it was in Eretz Yisrael with the persecutions of the Romans. In many cases, it's much clearer, much clearer. So what do we learn? We learn that when we have a situation and we're trying to accomplish something, to do something, so what, how do we make, how do we resolve the issue? Do we resolve it according to what we see in the present? Or do we resolve it according 
to how it could be done in the future. In other words, if we do it the way it's necessary for the present, that's very nice, but maybe if we would wait, it would come out better. According to the Yerushalmi, we don't do it in the present because it's going to be, we're going to look by the thing in its perfected state, how it will be in the future. And we're going to give some examples. There is a discussion, after we're familiar with the fact that Chazal tell us, Zrizim Magdim in Limitzvos, that a person who is Zariz, a person that was diligent, will run to do a mitzvah right away and not push it off. If you have an opportunity to do a mitzvah, you do it right away. You don't push it off, even when, if by doing it right away, you may not be doing it in the best possible manner. For example, you have to do a mitzvah now, but because now you have the opportunity, but you know that if you'll do it later, it will be much nicer. Maybe more people will come. And Chazal tell us, Barov Am Hadras Melech, when there are many people, it's much more beautiful. So then what, what do we do? Do we do it now when it won't be as beautiful as possible because there will be less people, for example? Or do we push it off for later? And according to the Babli, we do the mitzvah right away. According to the Yerushalmi, the determining factor is not the right away, the here and now, but the beauty and the perfection of the mitzvah that if we will do it later, there will be many more people. It will be much more royal and much more magnificent. However, the fact that we rush to do the mitzvah as zrizim, that will be lacking. So most of the differences in how we determine what something is supposed to be is the line of thinking of zrizim magdimim or the line of thinking the here and now matters, so let's do it, and that's the best way we can do it because you're brought to rush to do the mitzvah or should we push it off and it won't be done so quickly but maybe it will be done in a more beautiful setting or anything of that nature so this question doesn't apply only in the actual doing of the mitzvah but also in the preparation of of the item to do the mitzvah with and let's see what that is and this is also alluded to in the two in the Tzvi Kayetz, in the deer that drives the figs, which was symbolic of the preparation for the mitzvah, pre- preparing an item until it becomes transformed, uh, that it's uh, possible to use it for a mitzvah. Or the Arisabal, the item is ready, and then we take it to where it belongs in the best possible way. So let's talk about the figs. Now we know that when fruit is harvested from a tree, There is a time when we come, when the fruits are ready, we take all the apples off the tree, for example, or all the pomegranates or whatever fruit we're dealing with. But when we take figs off a tree, it's a little different. And we learn in the Rambam, when he discusses fruits that we take to give to the poor, those mitzvahs in that section of Rambam, we don't come and take all the figs off the tree right away because they don't all ripen at the same time. So some may be ripe today, some may be ripe several days after that, some may be ripe after that. So it's a task that requires timing and each one that's ready will be taken off when it's ready. Now once the fig is ripe, there are two possibilities. We can immediately take the isolated figs that are ready 
earlier, and we can take them to dry them in the field, which would be represented by the deer, who is the dryer of the figs, so he takes them off the tree and brings them to the field. Or we could wait until many figs or the majority of figs are ready, and then we can take them all off at once. And then, of course, we have a lot, and they're all juicy, and they're all heavy. And that would relate to the Arisabal, to the lion that's strong, and he is a porter, and he's going to bring it to where it has to be brought. So in a similar manner, we can explain the resolution to the question of how do we prepare an item for a mitzvah. Let's say we are going to prepare uh, the hide of an animal for a mitzvah. So what are we going to do? How much hide do we have? Do we take whatever piece of hide we have that may not be the best and the nicest and immediately go preparing it and doing the mitzvah that we have to do? Or do we wait to get the choicest kind of hide and then make the choicest kind of parchment? So that would refer to quality. Do we do the quality we have at hand so we could do the mitzvah right away? Or wait to have a much better quality later? Or perhaps in terms of quantity, do we wait till we collect enough parchment? Or do we take it as it comes and go do the mitzvah? So here it is. If we have a big piece of parchment and a very nice, good piece of parchment, so Ari Sabol, according to the Talmud Yerushalmi, we wait and then we have a hider of having the most beautiful hide for the most beautiful tefillin. My kol chel of Hashem, as it says, or something that's suitable to give to a king is beautiful. So that's one thing. Do we make, we can make it better and more, but it's going to take longer. So this would be according to the Yerushalmi. But according to the Bavli, we would take what we can and we would do what we have to because Rizim, Magdimin, Lemitzvos. One more point before we get to the actual end of our Sikh and to the resolution and take the lessons that we have to take. In Ruchnius, we're going to talk now not about the lion and the, uh, the deer, which we said in the Yerushalmi, the Ari was mentioned first because the Ari is the one who has everything ready and he takes it. And the Babli, the Tzvi, was mentioned first. But now we're going to talk about the wolf, which we said in the Babli was the storekeeper. And then the Yerushalmi is the one who sells the pots. Which is a who or who, which is exactly a similar thing, but here we're talking about a storekeeper, and here we're talking about one who sells pots specifically. And what does this mean in Ruchnius in the preparation for a mitzvah? So now we'll see. In the Babli, we don't even speak about the wolf selling pots. But if we try to compare the wolf and the lion, it's very interesting to see what we come up with. And that's why we see why the wolf, it says, is compared to the one who sells the pots. If we observe these two animals, the lion and the wolf, both of these are animals that prey on other animals, but there is a great distinction in how they eat. About the lion, it says, 
that the lion is do-race. It tramples the prey and it eats it immediately. Whereas the wolf, it says, to-race preys and eats. The nature of the wolf is that it will take its prey. It won't eat it immediately the way the wolf will, but it will take the prey to the hole where it likes to stay and it will eat it over there. And both animals will enjoy their food in their respective manners that are unique to each of them. So what do we see? That when it comes to the lion, we have no point in discussing the making of pots, because what's the idea of a pot? A pot is used to take food that's raw and to cook it. But this would have absolutely no bearing on a lion, at least symbolically, because the lion doesn't prepare the food at all. The lion tramples it and eats it immediately. But contrary to this, we have the wolf who delays his pleasure of eating because he preys upon the animal and then he takes it to the spot where he will enjoy it most and that is more representative of somebody who sells the pots because the pot is not about uh, just taking food and eating it the pot is taking the food and making it most enjoyable which in most cases would be represented by cooking it and for that you need a pot so what would this mean in terms of preparing for a mitzvah? So after we prepare all, after we prepared all the necessary things to do a mitzvah, talking uh, in, in a way of a marshal allegorically, so we have the deer who takes the fruits off the tree and brings them to the field to dry in the sun. We have the porter, the lion who takes all the packages, takes all the fruits, and brings it to the destination where it has to go. And then we have the storekeeper who is there to sell the product. And then we have another category, which the Yerushalmi brings, and that's the category of the wolf, who is a seller of pots. In other words, the pot indicates not only the selling of the item, which was prepared by the previous people in the chain preparing the product. But in terms of preparing for a mitzvah, we have the levels of preparation, of knowing what we have to do, of getting the materials, and then of selling it or buying it. We also have in the Yerushalmi the category of the wolf who sells pots of doing the mitzvah not so much about doing it right away and rushing for the love of the mitzvah and for the love of serving Hashem, but rather doing it in the best possible, most beautiful way. Like not only having the food, but taking it, the wolf taking it to the place where he will feel most comfortable eating it. Or the idea of having many people present or doing the mitzvah in the most beautiful way. So now we can understand that whatever differences exist between the Babli and Yerushalmi, it also exists in the end of our discussion when we add the wolf who sells the pots in the Yerushalmi and not in the Babli. So let's see. According to the way the Babli views things, the determining factor in when or how you do a mitzvah would be zrizus. Zrizus, being diligent, being quick, 
running to do with with alacrity this represents the present and this overtakes the beauty and glory that comes if you delay it until you have the best or the most or the greatest or the most people and therefore the bavli does not bring the situation of a wolf selling pots because there's no need for pots everything is done quickly on but the other side is according to the Yerushalmi the most important thing in determining when or how you do the mitzvah is how beautiful it could be so you wait for the time of when everything will be ready to make it as beautiful as possible which is not at all about zrizus and therefore there he also adds the symbolism of the wolf who sells pots which is a hidor for the future because cooking it does take time in simple language and we find something like this in the Mishnah regarding another halacha just to see how this plays out consistently if Yom Kippur falls Erev Shabbos and we have to bring the sawyer the special carbon the sawyer of Yom Kippur so it has to be eaten but you can't cook it on Shabbos so the fact is that they're the Kohanim from outside of Eretz Yisrael they will eat it the meat right away the way it's raw even though eating meat that's not fully cooked is definitely not the most desirable way to eat carbonos because carbonos have to be eaten in the most beautiful way they have to be prepared once we eat them in a way that will be most tasty and most well cooked but the bavlim who are representative of the Talmud Bavli, they will eat it raw because they want to do the mitzvah of eating the carbon at the very first opportunity whereas the ones who come from Eretz Yisrael we don't find that they follow this hither and now we come to the very conclusion because we started in the beginning of the Sicha when we had in the puzzle that Yaakov compares Binyamin to a wolf that prays and we had the Targum of Unculus who said that this praying of the wolf refers to the Mikdash and the Mikdash there refers to the Karbonos where blood would flow and that's the Beis Hamikdash being expressed by Karbonos because that's the main work of the Beis Hamikdash or we have Yonas and Ben Uziel who is representative of Eretz Yisrael he was in Eretz Yisrael and he said that it's about the base Hamikdash, not so much about the Avod of Karbanos as about the whole base Hamikdash. So what is the difference? That Targum Unculus is a Targum from Bovel, and as a Targum from Bovel, it follows the philosophy of Targum of Talmud Bavli. And Targum Yonas of Benuziel is Targum Yerushalmi and even though it's an Aramaic it's a different Aramaic and is the version of Aramaic that was spoken in Eretz Yisrael very different from or quite different from the one in Bavel and therefore he says about the Beis HaMikdash it's, itself now let's see this in the conclusion of the Sikha when the Pasuk says Binyamin like a wolf prays 
So what is the wolf here? Is the wolf here one of the things, the general preparations for the mitzvah? Or is the wolf here something added? So according to Targum Yonas and Benuziel, which is Targum Yerushalmi, which is the Talmud of Eretz Yisrael, the, Yerushal, the Yerushalayim Talmud. So Ben Yamin, the Aviatrov, is really a preparation to what follows afterwards in the apostle, because we only quoted the first three words. But Yaakov said about Binyamin that he prays like a wolf. But if we continue further in the Pasuk, the Pasuk says, that in the morning he will devour the karbonos and distribute uh, the booty, so to speak, or the results in the evening. So this is referring to offering karbonos and eating them. And therefore the Talmud, the Targum Yonos of Benuziel says, that in the Nachala, in the land of Binyamin, there will be a base Hamigdosh. Because what is the base Hamigdosh? The base Hamigdosh is not the place where we shech the Karbonos. We shech the Karbonos on the Mizbeach. But the base Hamigdosh is a place of preparation for Karbonos. That what is the base Hamigdosh? The Rambam says these words the base Hamigdosh is a bias la Hashem. And the whole Bayis Hashem is all about bringing karbonos, which are actually brought on the Mizbeach in the courtyard of the Beis Hamikdash. So this is a perfect way. We have a Beis Hamikdash, and we have a Mizbeach, and on the Mizbeach we bring the karbonos after the whole Beis Hamikdash is there and complete. It's the future. It's doing it in the best possible way. And here the wolf represents the Hidur, the beautification, and the Shlemus, the completion and the perfection of the preparation so over here bring the giving of the karbonos actually in truth can happen when there is no base hamikdash there is such a psak halacha that one can bring karbonos even when the base hamikdash is not already built there is definitely such an opinion and then you would bring the karbonos and that's why uh we say the targum bavli the talmud bavli I'm sorry, the Targum Yonos and Targum Onkelos speaks about Magdusha, but doesn't use the word bias because we're talking about Karbonos before we have a complete Beis Hamikdash. And therefore, according to Onkelos Targum Bavli, which is parallel to Talmud Bavli and based on what we said, so it doesn't, we don't have to worry about uh, the perfect mitzvah, but rather he says that the wolf is the idea of bringing karbonos. As soon as we could bring the karbonos, we bring the karbonos, and that's why it says Baachsante Yisbene Magdusha. We just explained this before. Magdusha means a place that set aside for bringing karbonos, and it refers, as we learned, to the part of the Beis Hamikdash that was in the territory of Binyamin, where the blood would flow down into, and the atonement that comes from the carbon is through the sprinkling of the blood on this Mizbeach. So what do we see? And here we're literally at the end of the Sicha, that there is a difference in the halacha, in the situation 
if we can build only the base Hamikdash, only the Mizbeach to bring Karbonos, and not the whole base Hamikdash, can we bring Karbonos or not? So according to Talmud Bavli, according to Targum Unklus, there's definitely place to say that as soon as we have the opportunity to build the base, to build the Mizbeach, and we build it, we immediately could bring the Karbonos, being that we are trying to do a mitzvah as soon as possible, and to bring the carbon or the carbonos is a very great mitzvah or very great mitzvah about different carbonos. So even if the Beis Hamikdash is not perfect, we can still bring the carbon, and that's why it says mikdash, but it doesn't say Beis Hamikdash because mikdash here refers to the idea of the prey. We're talking about Binyamin praying, and the prey, of course, is the carbon in the territory of Binyamin. But according to the Talmud Yerushalmi. And the translation of Yonas and Benuziel, Taglam Yerushalmi does not just does not judge or does not resolve issues based on the here and now, but rather on what it will be like later when it will be better. So we have to wait with the bringing of Karbanos only when the Beis Hamikdash will be built, so that the offering of the Karban on the Mizbeach should be in a perfect way, and it should not be lacking anything. So these are the two explanations, and now hopefully we understand the differences between the two. In essence, we're dealing with the Beis HaMikdash in the territory of Binyamin, and these are just two different ways to look at it that the Rebbe brings here in the Sikha. May we merit to have the Mizbeach and to have the Beis HaMikdash speedily in our day and have the resolution to all the things that we are concerned with. Thank you. Thank you.